Hello everyone, this is Jean Galea and welcome to another episode of Mastermind.fm. With me today I have my dad Joseph Galea and our special guest Lloyd Linopold from Crowd Estate. Lloyd is the founder and CEO of this real estate investment platform and my goal today is to learn about how this platform operates, what are the challenges that Lloyd has faced throughout the six years of this platform operation and what are the plans for the future, how the platform really works, what are the different investment options that we can choose from, and so on and so forth. I've been investing myself on Crowd Estate, so I've got my own interest for recording this episode. I'm very happy uh, with, the, with the platform so far, although I had some projects which didn't go so well, and I'm sure we'll get to mention them in this episode as well. I have reviewed the platform on my website, jangalea.com. So if you're interested in a written form of my experience with Crowd Estate, please do check out the review on my site, which I'll link in the show notes. So without further ado, let's go on and speak to Light. Before we start, a short word from our sponsors. Now I have two sponsors for this episode, WP RSS Aggregator and Spotlight. Both of them are WordPress plugins and let me tell you how they work. So WP RSS Aggregator can be used to import information, blog posts and other content that is based on RSS from other websites and you can use it to create your own website based on this imported content. A good example of what you can create can be seen at eurofinanceblogs.com again it's eurofinanceblogs.com this is a website i built with this plugin and you can see how i managed to aggregate all the news items from various uh, finance blogs in europe so that's one of the use cases that i found very useful for wprss aggregator now the other plugin spotlight can be used to import Instagram images into your website. Now this can be useful for your own personal website, for example, to make sure that when people visit your website, they can also see the images you have on your social media, in this case, Instagram. And it can also be good for those who are selling products. In fact, with the pro version, you are able to import hashtags, which means that when people, for example, customers take photos with your product and hashtag, use the hashtag, you can then pick up all those photos and import them into your product website. Not only that, but you have the option to curate those images. So only the ones, the photos from Instagram that you want to show up in your website will do so. So check those products out. It's spotlightwp.com and wprssaggregator.com. Both of them have free versions on wordpress.org and they operate on a freemius model, which means that some features, the pro features are available as a pro premium paid version, which are available on their respective websites. Hi, Lloyd. Welcome to the show. Hello. Nice to meet you. So again, we have uh, Lloyd, who's the CEO and founder of Crowd Estate. And there's my dad, Joe Galea. Hello. We're going to be investigating what Crowd Estate does and why. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to be looking at some potential issues with these type of platforms and how Crowd Estate are mitigating these issues. So to start off, uh, Lloyd, can you describe why you decided to found Crowd Estate back in 2014 and how the platform has evolved over this time and what exactly it does? I think it's a 
there's maybe a lot of coincidences of the roots of founding crowd estate lies back in my background so my my background is uh, in banking i've been uh, in banking business for more than 20 years half of that i've been doing investment management fund management pension fund management uh, and the other half I've, i've been in commercial banking mostly uh either managing the bank or being like running the credit committees and the attending side. So I think this is one element. So I think this gives me kind of some uh, background uh, on how to uh, give money out and how to give money back, which is, I think is important. The, the other part is uh, that while being in banking, I've been doing some startups as well. And one of the early startups I uh, established uh, 2010, was a medical healthcare startup which unfortunately failed in 2009 but uh, this provided me with a knowledge and experience of building a complicated technological platform with high security information security and encryption so this is a second element and and i think when you put those things together like working in the bank i talked uh, like selling the funds i i met a lot of customers probably thousands over 10 years and uh, And when I talked to them, they said, yeah, I like your equity funds are really nice. and I like your bond funds, but I would really like to get exposure in real estate. And uh, we even had some discussions with different banks, like whether we should establish a real estate fund. And uh, in all cases, we came to a conclusion that the bank really wants to be a lender in a project, taking the first rank mortgage and uh, the lowest risk. And uh, at the same time, selling the equity or the mezzanine part to the investors would create a potential uh, conflict of interest. So if the project defaults, then the bank seizes the collateral and the, and the investors who have been attracted by the bank themselves, they are left out in the cold. Uh, and uh, there have been like over time, a lot of um, cases of mis-selling uh, investments to basically not re- giving the right representation of investments uh, by the commercial banks. And I think that the banks have become more uh, cautious about that. So, you know, I understood that the investment product like that, that the investors with five or 3,000 euros are expecting is not going to happen in the bank. So at one kind of a nice day, I just thought that I'll do it myself. So uh, figured it out how to do it. Uh, got it up and running. I think it was like about four months running on a prototype, like really doing all the stuff manually, like traditional uh, startup guy working in the uh, in my bedroom and having meetings in the cafeterias, like really like an old school type. And since that, uh, the first project that we did uh, failed because there was no investors on the platform, but I, I used basically the, uh, the project to attract first 300 customers or investors. And I, the second project I funded on, on the basis of that. Uh, so, uh, That was a proof of concept. I think we did uh, probably like four projects. After that, we saw that it really works. Then uh, we rewrote all the IT technology like to be scalable, invested a lot. I think I've invested about million euros in IT so far over six years. So it's kind of very robust technology behind that. And uh, it's been growing ever since. So um, we started off as having an office in Estonia. Then we expanded south to Latvia. Then uh, set up a shop in Milan in Italy, and last year we uh, established a branch in uh, Bucharest in uh, in Romania. We've worked on some other countries as well as Georgia and uh, Czech Republic. And due to COVID, basically we one was very, Georgia is very promising, so uh, but we didn't uh, wanted to proceed at this time. And Czech Republic 
is very unpromising. So we basically shut the business down, not the business, but our re- market research down there. So it ended up that we didn't find a place for uh, for crowd estate in Czech Republic so far. So basically, that's it. We have about uh, 50,000 uh, international investors. Most of them are from European Union. But when we are raising capital, we see dots on Google uh, map like popping up in Australia, New Zealand, Japan, going back South America. So it's it's very global. But most of the money still comes from Europe. So it's uh, there's definitely a um, called home bias. Like people love the real estate in the countries. So if we look at we are physically present in four countries, so majority of the funds actually come from those countries. Plus maybe Germany, Austria, Switzerland, countries like that. So. So basically, that's the business. We have about 10 people on board so far, and we're working on some new countries, still slowly getting up to speed again. So we still want to, in spite of COVID, we still want to open maybe one more country this year, maybe two or so. Let's see how it goes. Very interesting. So yeah, I, I really like the Genesis story of this platform. It really makes sense. You know, you are working in banking, you've got the investors, and there was no product for them, so you decided to create it. Now, I come from a software and entrepreneurial background, so I'm always curious and how you start this, this kind of platform. As you know, I review many platforms and some of them just look very cheap. So I don't even go to the stage where I'm, I'm looking at the investments because the platform itself is so amateurish that I'm like, this is probably some guy <laughs> hiring some software coders from India or some other cheap mm-hmm. place putting something together and hoping to get some a few millions from investor before running away. What's the process for building a platform? I imagine there's a lot of regulation to deal with apart from the technical aspect. So I'm just curious how the first few months of this building a platform, how did that go? Regulation-wise, uh, Estonia is in a way kind of quite liberal country, so we are not regulated here, but uh, the story is very short. Like. Uh, the first version of the prototype, I didn't want to invest too much. I think I invested probably like I know, 10,000 euros. I used the WordPress, bunch of plugins. So it looks pretty okay, but there was no backend. So the backend was a big Excel table, manual email sending like, uh, you know, I learned my lessons in a positive way. So I understood that uh, this is something that human persons should not be dealing with. So when building the, the uh, current version, we, Basically, we fully automated everything that can automate it in any way. So it's like there's, uh, if you do uh, pay in money to investment accounts, you do withdrawals. So there's interest distribution, income tax withholding. It's all fully automated. So unless there's some kind of information missing. So I, I would say that a typical thing is like when you sometimes people forgot to use the, this reference numbers, which we use to tie incoming money to specific investment accounts. So it ends up in a manual processing queue so there's a, some humor intervention but uh, there are days where we really don't have to touch anything because it works like a charm so and currently we are it's custom built so we uh, we have a partnering it company basically we still outsource everything we have uh, about two and a half to three full-time uh, persons doing the uh, maintenance and uh, development so we are not yet there to uh, have an in-house team because like uh, then you would need to have a kind of specific manager. Then you have to have to deal with the vacations and um, sick leave and all the stuff. So it's easier for us that there is a kind of a Swedish table of experts who are on our system. 
and they are replaceable. So we are very happy with the way we are doing it now. So uh, that's basically it. Lloyd, I come from uh, the accounting and finance uh, background. Mm-hmm. And people usually look at security first when it comes to lending money to somebody. Mm-hmm. Therefore, if you're not regulated, mm-hmm. how do you give peace of mind to the investors? It seems that uh, most of these platforms uh, thrive in the Baltic states and possibly um, for a number of reasons, possibly because of no regulation or perhaps there is a lot of expertise in IT, etc. But how do you give peace of mind to the investors? Uh, For example, how do you identify the projects? How do you do the due diligence? What is your expertise in this? Oh, that's so many questions in one uh, one sentence. So uh, maybe starting from the environment and regulation. So, uh, you know, I'm a liberal person. So uh, I think that if uh, possible, there should anything should not be overregulated. At the same time, we have seen that uh, unregulated uh, businesses, especially in the financial industry, they attract scammers, like all the kind of Latvian investors and Quetzals, and they are kind of great examples of building pyramid schemes and and representing them as investable platforms. So what we did in uh, CrowdSafe was founded in January 2014. And at that time, uh, the uh, I would say global real estate crowdfunding was also kind of very the very early stage, probably there were like maybe ten platforms globally operating in a reason on a reasonable scale. So, what we did in early 2015 is that uh, in Estonia we have a industry organization uh, named Finance Estonia, about 120 members, mostly non-bank financial players, fintechs, uh, all the top legal companies, uh, Ministry of Finance, Financial Supervision Authority. So we came up together and. Basically, we addressed the problem, like uh, saying that we have to prove that the platforms, like uh, speaking about platforms and the platforms business and leaving uh, the investment properties uh, out of the scope at this time, we should be able to demonstrate that we are doing a proper business, in that we, are, we have all the kind of internal processes in place. So we kind of need some kind of regulation. And at that time, there was already an early initiative on European level uh, to start creating a pan-European crowdfunding regulatory regime. So Estonian Minister of Finance and uh, FSA basically decided that uh, they would like to wait the uh, harmonized European regulation. And they decided not to create Estonian local regulation. Instead of that, uh, we established self-regulatory regime. So uh, I think there are four... Uh, platforms that have applied and have received annual kind of certificates of uh, compliance with the regime. It's copied from UK and uh, all the requirements and the disclosures are publicly available on financeestonia.eu. So basically coming up together saying like uh, four largest platforms saying like until there's no government regulation, we want to be uh, conducting business properly under self-regulatory regime. And Finance Estonia is supervising that we comply with the requirements. We provide them with annual reports, uh, like not only like financial reports, but all, also confirmations like how we conduct business, like what processes are in place, like how we intend to uh, deal with uh, extraordinary situations, stuff like that. So I think it's working pretty okay at this time. 
And looking forward, uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, European regulation is uh, it is harmonized, it's translated. So I would not really bet on that, but I hope that it's, it will be already accepted still this year and becoming valid next year. So meaning that all uh, crowdfunding and P2P platforms will be subject to uh, locally issued uh, uh, crowdfunding licenses that can be passported across European Union, all the member states, which kind of is a great idea. It basically copies the all the other financial regulation and directives that are enforced in the European Union currently. So what we see is that taking a license in Estonia still is the home country and then passporting it to all, all other countries that we are operating. So, and all the kind of this... Uh, creates a single and harmonized market with common rules. So nobody has a distinct edge in kind of doing whatever regulatory arbitrages or uh, conducting business in a, in a non-proficient manner. So um, that's about regulation now. So eventually it will come. I'm really, really looking forward to it. We are really pre- kind of completely prepared to submit the application the next day the license become like the regulation becomes valid we have all the materials kind of prepared and we're in a kind of a starting position coming to due diligence uh, and uh, picking projects uh, we have developed an internal kind of a model that we use uh, to evaluate the project so uh, uh, sourcing the project it's uh, is uh, in a way it's hard manual labor the best it's done talking to the owners and CEOs of uh, real estate companies. And sometimes it takes three months to get the project. Sometimes it takes three years to get the project. So it's it's a long process. Uh, nobody really waits and uh, as the investors' return expectations are really high. So uh, the cost of capital is relatively high to the developers as well. So uh, we have to really do a lot of convincing that this is a right uh, source of capital or like the partial source of capital that can be used to complete the development projects. And in a way, when we identify the opportunity, we apply our own model. There are kind of five key areas that we are looking at uh, and uh, missing even one of them is uh, is a reason for this uh, disqualification. So basically, I have to have like five ticks of five to be uh, allowed to be published on the platform. So first, we look at the sponsor or the promoter himself the company, the people, the background, what have they done? So, And uh, our history has proven that uh, it's definitely easier to work with larger companies which have organizational capability to fulfill our requirements. So uh, the preparation level is better. They have uh, uh, in-house skills, although there are different examples, like most of the skills can be outsourced and contracted. So you have to be a strong project management team and outsourcing everything else but like all the i would say typical uh, issue with the smaller developers that they are maybe very good at uh, building constructing maybe even selling but they are really bad on uh, on paperwork so uh, getting the quarterly reports sometimes in a mess so you have to kind of you know call them up and not really knock on the door but really give five reminders that we're really expecting the uh, reporting uh, uh, obligation to be fulfilled once a quarter so, uh, and sometimes we see uh, very basic financial kind of projections. That is also a kind of a sign that uh, maybe the organization or the company is not there yet that uh, it can be allowed or like it to be published on the platform. But in a way, when we agree that the developer or the promoter 
is qualified internally enough, like having people and skills and uh, track records uh, on the specific type. So we uh, look at the project itself, all the kind of uh, quantitative data that uh, is uh, available uh, on the project. So starting from the zoning, looking at the building permits, floor plans, uh, uh, what type of units are planned, what are the sizes, what are the costs, what are the income. Then we move to the uh, market, trying to understand what if that product has a market fit. So is there a buyer for specific product at the specific time at this specific price point? And uh, if we figure that out, then we proceed to building a more complex financial model. Basically, we do uh, monthly uh, cash flow projections uh, for all uh, projects to understand that there is enough cash to be for the project to be completed. And if that is also okay, then the last step is uh, figuring out how the project should be financed, like a capital structure-wise. So as a banker, I'm maybe I'm conservative, so I really believe that the developer should have a real skin in the game, not overvalued property as, a, as an equity, but really expect them to contribute cash equity as a starter. I think that that should be probably be like, uh, depending on the market, but I would say the rule of thumb is 25% plus minus 5% roughly. If there is a bank loan available, that's very welcome because that's cheap cost, cheap capital. So uh, we love to work with banks because it gives us an opportunity to uh, not the simple secured uh, mortgage loan, but something uh, higher like mezzanine or equity deal, which uh, is a bit higher risk, but offers great returns for the, for the investors. So if there's equity in place uh, and the bank loan in place, we're probably going to do some mezzanine in between, or then we do some equity. Of, if there's not, not enough equity, so the first thing we start talking about, like bring your friends, raise equity. If you don't, we can help you to raise equity. So as a, again, as a rule of thumb, we uh, what we do maximum is like we match the equity of the developer. We never take like a majority position of, we never want to be in a project where there is no equity, real equity in the project. I would say that's a good starting point for a disaster. So uh, if the developer doesn't take any risk, you know, there's no incentive to save the project if something goes south. So there should be enough skin in the game. So uh, if all the elements are placed, capital structure is reasonable, then it ends up being published on the platform. How big are these projects? They are, the size is different. So, uh, if we speak of small double house developments, it might be maybe like 100,000, 150,000. And uh, I think the largest projects that we have been doing are like buildings with 300 apartments, total project cost of 15 million. And we are doing maybe 3 million layer of that 15 million uh, total cost. So in a way, our stake is relatively smaller. It really varies. Uh, recently, like you said in the beginning, that uh, COVID has impacted the uh, investment appetite of investors so the project have been becoming smaller so uh there have been no like a million euro an hour fundraises in like this year so like if we look Which back we used like, to we, see we used to see before right it's exactly crazy. it was like a million million euros an hour was no problem and two million in a day it was like pretty okay but now it's like uh sometimes like raising three hundred thousand takes a week so uh, i think it's a sign uh what we saw is that during the crisis, the investment appetite not really disappeared, but it shifted to a different position. So the, the, the investors were expecting premium. So like, I think the secured, like first rank secured capital was expecting maybe 13 to 14% uh, 
uh, yield, which is ridiculously high. So, uh, but that was probably for a month or two. So I think the yields are now normalized again to back to probably like 10%. And uh, mm -hmm. I would love to see them lower because that would allow us to do business with more, uh, with larger developers, which are, I would say, the risk return ratio having a, I know, 8% loan against the major developer is much better than having 11% loan against the small developer. So the few percentage points, I think they don't make sense. So uh, how do you gauge the returns uh, that investors are asking for? I think we see uh, one thing is we see what, how the auto invests are tuned. So we see whether kind of levels when we set up the project on the platform, we, basically see how much is going to be filled by auto invest and how much is left over. And I think that's kind of the track record. Like we've seen people doing investments on a daily basis. We kind of, at least we want to believe that we understand where the appetite can be. But again, like a uh, lot of people are investing in, uh, I think they don't make a big difference if they're investing in consumer loans or real estate. So it's just a P2P everything. And they kind of put them into one bucket and, I think that's not maybe too fair. I would say consumer loans should be much more expensive and more secured. Uh, a real estate investment should be much kind of cheaper. So you know, I think like doing uh, first rank mortgage loans, I think it, it's uh, until the platforms can provide them with 10, 11% rate, I think it's a very good bargain. So they are definitely mispriced and uh, in the benefit of the investors. They should be priced probably like maybe 7, 8% to be competitive with the banks what the banks are doing on the markets I, I would agree with you the funny thing is that across all my investments the ones that were most problematic turned out to be real estate investments mm. now that doesn't mean that the, the asset class is worse than than consumer lending but maybe the platforms itself were just being indiscriminate mm. so we've had Lendy in the UK going out of business and just just last week, uh, we heard news about the owners having spent money, and now I mean spent money in nefarious ways, and now they're mm -hmm. facing court action. There's Housers in Spain, which is pretty much a disaster, although it was growing very rapidly, and I guess still is. So these are platforms. In the case of Housers, it's very obvious now that they were they just raise money for anyone who applies, basically. Mm -hmm. So obviously the results are not going to be w good. Also, there is no secondary market. So once you're stuck in a project, you can't really go out. Mm -hmm. So all these things, I think so far, in my case, have made real estate the most tricky one. Mm -hmm. Even in the case of the UK platforms, property moves, property partner, a downturn in the market there, like made, got everything to a standstill. So it's true. I agree with you that the, the risk is higher in consumer loans, but the liquidity uh, so far has been so good in those sectors that it's e even easier to sell off. I've had friends had more than a million in, in investments and they managed to sell them in one, two days, you know, mm -hmm. that's amazing for, for an investment that's yielding 10%. No, if you look from the investor's perspective, like if you are maybe a bit more lazier investor and traditional and not looking at the financial technology as an enabler, so you would be stuck with like sitting money on the account and maybe doing some traditional ETFs and uh, that's your whole kind of investment uh, universe. So I think it definitely 
like having the alternative investments done in a technologically advanced way definitely kind of adds value to investors' portfolio. But again, they should not be like a majority part of it's more like a cherry on top of the cake. So still, again, like maybe I'm old school, but I believe that kind of the basis of the portfolio should be quite traditional. So. Yeah. One thing I noticed when looking at the statistics of crowd estate was that the amounts people were investing on average were larger in the initial years. Mm-hmm. Why is that so? The number of investors was small. And uh, I think about three years ago, we introduced this uh, pre-booking, which redistributes overbooked investments. So basically, we cut down, uh, basically, it was like IPOs or a subscription. So the small tickets get 100% of the investments and the large one might get maybe 10% of that. So I think that worked this way. So And again, like the early investors, they were probably much more financially savvy and like wealthy. And now we are coming really kind of retail platform. So I think like statistically, I'm okay. You know, for us, it's no big difference. If somebody invests 100 euros or 1,000 euros, it's the, the technology does it the uh, same way. The cost is the same. Basically, the variable cost is zero. So it's it doesn't add any pressure to the platform. So we're happy with that as well. If I want to invest, say, <clears throat> 10,000 euros, 50,000 mm-hmm. euros, mm-hmm. access your website, your platform, and am I offered a mixture between equity, mezzanine, and the loan? Mm-hmm. Basically, what I vision Crowd Estate to be and uh, what we have been is that uh, we want to be a full capital stack provider for the developers, so they shouldn't go to any other provider. So if they're lacking equity, sure, we can do it. If you need a construction, senior construction loan, of course, we can do it. If you need something in between, we figure it out. So, you know, we, we try to be like a one-stop shop for the developer. So, and for the investors, again, it means that investors have different risk appetites. So some guys are really happy. I have a friend, for instance, who says like, please don't send me those uh, secured construction loans, like 10%. I don't love, I'm an equity guy. So um, my return expectation is 20%. I always invest 10,000 or more per project. And uh, that's because uh, that fits my in- investment philosophy. So, so investors are different. So I think having different types of products or like capital layers on the platform, it provides uh, the investors what they're actually looking for. Otherwise, you would be stuck in the wrong asset class or the capital layer. And that might, might be either if it doesn't correspond to your risk tolerance, you might lose some returns that, that you would actually be capable of taking, or you might end up in doing investing equity in equity and actually you might be like a secured loan guy so we definitely don't want that to be happening so uh everyone should get what they actually are able to tolerate and uh should expect of course this kind of the greed element is always there and historically like equity projects have been selling much better and uh we have had a few cases where people i think they sometimes they don't understand what they're buying so and i always say like if you don't understand, please don't do it. So we definitely don't want the investors to be ending up in a wrong uh, capital stack. Well, actually, on your website, you quote a composite rate of return of around 15%, right? Yes. Therefore, that's, an, uh, we... that's an actual uh, exit, uh, exit rate. So uh, it's a uh, money-weighted uh, IRR of all the projects that we have exited. So. But if you had to break it down between equity, mezzanine, and the loan, what would be the rates of return? 
I would say secured loans, we're targeting uh, 10 to 12, roughly. In Romania, we're getting a bit better rates, but I think there's a country risk premium there. Uh, mezzanine, I would say target is 15 plus minus, equity is 20 plus. So it's like 10, okay. 15, 20. It's like simple ladder that I'm, I would love to see the secured loans to be lower, but that's the market. So we have to live with that. Uh, but 10, 15, 20. And do you underwrite uh, these loans or, or financing? You mean like guaranteeing or? Well, in the sense that uh, you might need to raise 100,000. I invest my share, 5,000, but mm. you don't manage to close it off the full 100,000. Mm. Therefore, what happens? Within, uh, then we just uh, uh, reverse the campaign. So we don't uh, distribute the funds and it's considered to be failed. So but we have had a few cases over six years. So probably like three, four cases maybe. And I think that's a sign either people uh, don't like the project for specific reason or uh, they don't understand it. So, And that's also a very good reason not to invest. So we have, I think we have a good example of uh, one corporate finance project that we tried to do, I think, about three years ago. That was a convertible debt that uh, was, uh, I think the base case was 15% IRR and the exit was 100 plus, depending on the success of conversion and I think that was too complicated for the investors so we didn't manage to raise the capital unfortunately the guys managed to close the deal uh, as intended and uh, the other investors they actually the return was three days that was a special situation so maybe that's also that we have to kind of be mainstream in it so not doing like like tricky or like uh, complicated cases it should be kind of simple and so people understand it on your website, you also state that the minimum is 100 euros mm-hmm. to start, which yeah. is, I mean, very, very low. It is. Now, if I want to invest, say, 10,000, do you speak to me to assess exactly what I'm after? I don't think that you would ask these questions to somebody who is investing 100 euros. But for the big investors, what kind of relationship do you keep with them? We have a uh, investor, uh, most of the uh, communications happens over uh, digital channels. It's chat and email still, but we are really happy to talk to uh, if somebody calls us up and has a question. So we have guys there. We do it all the time. So it's not even kind of, we appreciate if you invest like 100 euros as well and you have a good question. So we are really happy to uh, help you in finding a good answer to that. So. Okay, and when you invest in different countries, I understand you are expanding your reach, as you said, in mm-hmm. Romania and Italy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were trying in the Czech Republic. Obviously, you would need expertise on the ground. Yes. With regards to your um, team that is working um, day in, day out on these investments, mm-hmm. how well equipped are you? One of our core principles is that uh, we never do business in a country where we don't have physically people. So you have in all countries, four countries where we operate, we have a team locally, physically present. So we do it in old school way. So if we decide to open up a new country, so we uh, hire, a, how do you call it, like HR company, and we do a headhunting for a country manager. And everything starts from that to find a great candidate who will be running the country responsible and we are looking for a kind of a mixed type of background of people, but the skill set we are looking for is real estate and finance mostly. 
and the secondary skills get, uh, which is kind of probably for marketing and investor support is, is like digital marketing. But I really emphasize like a bit like my background that you have some, maybe some, uh, uh, you have worked in large organization, you understand the numbers, finances, and you have kind of experience in real estate, either developer or investor. So you really know how to do it. And are you multilingual as well? You provide uh, information yes, in different yes. languages? Yes. That's a kind of a bit challenge for us. Uh, I think currently we have uh, nine languages, so we try to provide uh, information all all those languages. So and the more south we go, I think it's and when we come to Spain, for instance, like Spanish people definitely expect to have the information in Spanish language. So we can't sell it in uh, in Italian or Estonian or Russian or German. So so uh, Italy is a great example where uh, a lot of people they just speak Italian because it's a good great nation and they uh they cope well with uh, just uh one main language so really have to provide them with uh italian language customer support to a phone chat email the material should be in italian uh, the contract should be governed by italian law so it's like we do a lot of customization when we enter a new country but again as i as i noted having like massive amount like a large number of languages on the site it slows us down so it uh it brings comes complexity so currently we are trying to figure out what to do with that so uh maybe we should kill some smaller languages in favor of larger ones so maybe there are going to be like five main languages on site like in few years spanish italian german english maybe chinese maybe russian so and everything else should actually comply with that Therefore, you keep your clients updated with um, the progress of the projects, the, whether they are meeting their timelines, um, the end of the projects. Can I add something on this? Because I think it would be cool to also talk about some practical uh, projects. For example, we haven't really mentioned the corporate finance part of things. Mm -hmm. So maybe we could start with is describing how that fits in the whole crowd estate concept, first of all. This is something that we tried out in from 2016 to 19. And I, like basically we stopped doing that uh, later last year because uh, although we think that we understand the projects, in reality, they are much more complex than just doing real estate developments and they're much more influenced by external factors. So... Uh, I think the risk reward that the investors have been getting there is not justified. So since the end of last year, we basically don't do them. So we, going back to the roots, focus on real estate. Uh, that was a, Try it. I'm not, I'm Actually, not saying yeah, it's an experiment, but uh, yeah, I think there, there are a lot of problems with them. When I started seeing these types of platform uh, um, projects on platforms, mm. uh, and there, there are other platforms which do mostly this type of projects and i honestly stay away from such platforms because i know there's no way they know how all these businesses run and there's no way to control them it's just impossible yeah. at the same time i think the sector itself like there's a massive amount of medium-sized enterprises actually don't have access to bank financing but again like i think the the problem uh to like the size of the problematic projects or the risks with them is, is 
it doesn't pay off the return that you're getting. So you should be happy doing 12% on real estate and getting 15% from the corporate finance. So as an investor, the projects I was seeing were on other platforms. I don't remember exactly what you had, but there were things like crypto mining rigs, um, a tennis court, a karting facility. Mm. Like, mm. How can I invest a thousand euro and properly evaluate the risk? There's no way. I'm just throwing a thousand euro and hoping for the best. It becomes a lottery then. I did invest in some projects on Crowd Estate and going back to my dad's question about the updates, I think we can pick uh, one of the projects that didn't really go so well, HMC Foods, which I'm Mm -hmm. invested in. And I can see the updates going in. Perhaps you can describe how such uh, a project went, even though it didn't, it's not looking very good. I think it's important for investors to know the type of communication that you offered. One big problem I had with other platforms, again, Housers is one of them, mm-hmm. is that there's a strong push and promotion saying that this project is amazing. Once mm-hmm. they get their commissions, they get the investment. You don't hear anything mm-hmm. at the end, you know, and nobody gets their money back. So at least here I can see frequent communication from Crowd Estate. We have our standard is that if everything is going well, so the reporting interval is one quarter, which is kind of enough. If you have like, I know I personally have invested in all all the projects that are on the platform, so I think currently I have like more than hundred investments in my portfolio, and I really don't have time to read them. So I'm I'm hearing from my colleagues what's happening. So so in a in a way like once a quarter is okay if they don't meet the obligations, so it switches over to a monthly basis the problem is that uh, in some cases it's very hard to get some information so basically the guys just disappear or don't pick up the phone so we end up taking some legal action as in case of uh, hmc food and legal action is basically submit your claim then the court starts processing and there might be like uh, weeks or months there's really nothing happening which is kind of embarrassing there's nothing i can tell you except that I submitted my documents two months ago and I'm still waiting for the court to take a decision. So in such cases, we try to, as soon as something pops up, we do like ad hoc things and maybe not really stick to the monthly steps as, as we try to do. Is real estate investing easier to police from this point of view? Like you can go and visit the, the site itself? Talk to yes, the developers. Uh, actually, we do it a lot, actually. Not really on a construction phase, but uh, on a daily basis. But uh, we participate. We have these events like laying the foundation and then you do like the laying the roof, which are kind of two milestones. So, but we are there. If we want, we can go there, but in other time as well. So it really depends on the developer if we want to go. But in most cases, and especially if you do like the, the last developers, they are so well sticking to their whatever weekly schedule, so there's no actual need except for uh, human curiosity and, uh, you know, going up the roof and enjoying the view and kind of, there are some projects that uh, they have not ended on our platform, but they are done by uh, the developers that we have funded and uh, there's one project in Tallinn that I was really kind of suspicious about the place, guys building a very nice kind of a, whatever, 20 or 24 floor tower in a bit like a weird place we went to visit and i was kind of surprised as as soon as you kind of came to the fifth or sixth floor you understood why the guys picked the site but when you look at the ads 
and the uh, communication that's all around, you don't get the idea. You, you really have to be on the on the site. So it's that's these are examples. But yeah, we do the visits probably like every second week. Somebody's out uh, visiting some site, uh, seeing how it goes, and like then you're talking to the developers. You feel their pains and understand like how the sales are. So they are not very maybe active in updating the website. So how many units have sold? So you have to call them up or go there and see them. Then you'll see like how the project actually is going. So you're saying that your own eyes are your king. So, <laughs> But in terms of security for the investor, mm-hmm. therefore, how does it work? If it needs, um, let's say, a million to mm-hmm. construct the tower, um, the money is paid slowly, you know, gradually along the, the construction process. Who holds the money? Is there a separate SPV holding the money? Let's start uh, with this. Who yeah. holds the money in the meantime? Is if, there a well, custodian? If we do a kind of large, large project, usually you'll, I know, constructing a tower is like a 12-month process. So what we do, we never raise a million immediately. We do it with... Uh, we slice it into monthly chunks that follows the uh, progress of the construction, and the payout is against the construction documents, approving that certain and amount. Who holds works. the money in the meantime? Uh, Crowds data. It's on our separate account, but it never stays there. Like for uh, months, we usually raise it and then we distribute it, and we do it on a monthly basis. So when you see like multiple tranches per one project, this is a typical construction loan. So. There might you be something like from periodical collapse. Yeah, exactly. And the investor mix is different. So there are people who don't want to invest into multiple tranches of one property, and then the others are actually like to do it because the later tranches, uh, I think, risk reward is much better because you still get the high rate, but you have a lot of pre-sales, and term is probably sometimes it's like three months only. So. It, and what about the back. pledge on the property itself? Therefore, if a property is not performing, you can always, you know, go back and uh, take ownership. You know? uh, File a lawsuit. We, yeah, obviously. actually, you, you can't take the ownership, but we have a process called enforcement in English, which means there's a, not a trustee, but it's a bailiff, like a state official, who auctions off the property. So that's the fastest way. But again, if the... Uh, uh, the sponsor uh, or the promoter is sneaky. We have one case uh, from I think 2015, and it's still uh, it's now being processed or because the promoter has been fighting against, so we cannot liquidate the collateral. So he has been taking us to court, and we have taken it. So it's like we have taken to the Supreme Court and back. So it's a long way, a lot of money involved, and now we we are in a stage where the bankruptcy trustee has seized the property and is auctioning it off. But we have lost like several years of time, so it's it's not a smooth process. No, these things take time. Yeah, obviously. there's a patience, and in that specific case, the uh, uh, the LTV position is very nice. So we we're gonna collect all the principal, all the interest, and a uh, large part of the penalties as well. So the sad part is it's like taking years to do it. So, uh, but again, like we cannot leave it on the table. So it's. I'm always saying that we are not in the fundraising business, we are in the exit business. So the true value of the platform is when you are able to do the exits and return the money to the investors. So it's Okay, therefore, if I invest in a loan, how long would the duration be? It depends, but I would say a typical construction loan is maybe 12 months, rarely more. Sometimes you leave something for the sales period as well. 
uh, if you do equity projects, equity, I would say typical residential development project is like three years. You spend the first year on design and permitting, the second year on construction, and the third year is for sales. So it's like like a rule of thumb. So Therefore, the project yeah. would be effectively sold and uh, all the credit Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it goes faster. So, uh, and we have a few cases when it takes more time. So it's, uh, but I would say typically, yeah, like, Equity would be two and a half to three years, and if somebody comes and does a equity deal one year and it's tried and see it's a ground up project or like a whatever green fee project, it's probably not real. So it's uh, you physically can't do it. So you have the, all the uh, permitting bureaucracy in front of it, and it really, I would say, the fastest you can do is probably six months or eight months, and sometimes it takes sixteen or eighteen months. But again, like uh, if there's a good reason to do equity and enter the project at a very low cost and always like again like real estate you never do a profit by selling real estate you do profit when you buy it so actually you should enter at that attractive price regardless of the future sales price and if i invest with you is it necessarily in a specific project or can i invest with you in a fund dealing with real no it's project? a specific project this is uh, something that i personally believe that investors should, which is a, probably the biggest thing that differentiates uh, real estate investment funds from real estate crowdfunding platforms. If you do a fund-based investment, you trust your money to a uh, professional fund manager who actually makes all decisions on your behalf and you have no control what he decides to do and you should be happy with that. And in a way, I think it's, again, it's a great way to invest. There's nothing wrong about that. It should go suit you as an investor personally. While uh, crowdfunding uh, platforms they are, allow you to pick specific projects. Either you like specific sponsor or promoter, for instance, who has a great brand, maybe like 20 years track, never failed. Maybe you would like to invest only into those, exclude all the small ones, for instance. Maybe you don't want to do early stage. Maybe you just want to do construction loan. So you have a, like a lot of opportunities how to structure your portfolio. And we have very nice auto invest that uh, allows you to kind of set all the features, which you say like, I want only to do whatever, 12-month uh, first-rank mortgage, LTV max, 60%. Uh, I require at least quarterly interest. Set it up and it does it for you. So you don't have to spend too much time on that. Again, like it, it allows you to pass all the others that don't fit your qualification criteria. Okay, one last question from me <laughs> to uh, recap everything. Um, the final one is tax. Um, <laughs> The yes. cherry on the cake. No, it's always the issue with tax everywhere. Therefore, you get funds from the international market. Mm-hmm. I am an international investor. I invest in you, your platform, which is in Estonia. How am I taxed on my returns? Therefore, I can uh, have interest income. I can have capital gains, right? Yes, actually, you can have both. If you trade on secondary market, you will have uh, capital gains. If you don't trade on secondary market, you will just uh, legally you'll have interest income. Taxation is an interesting topic and probably a very complex one. So, but going back to the very roots is like uh, if you look at the promoters or sponsors on the, any platform, they are companies and they're raising capital. In all European Union member states, there's a kind of a tax law says that if a company makes a income distribution to investors, either to private persons or companies, they should withhold income tax. So based on the uh, local tax law, 
as well as a combination uh, with the international double taxation treaties. So there's, what we did is uh, we partnered up with Ernst & Young and we still do with them updates. So we have a massive tax table on, uh, I think we have all European countries, plus we have like major investment. We don't have like all the 100 countries. So like we, there's no sense of spending time in digging into whatever Egyptian tax laws to figure out one guy's like, if, if they can do it tax efficiently or not. So they are fully taxed. So we have a complex kind of a set of tax tables, which consider the country of residence of promoter. And then it uh, considers your country of residence as a resident of Spain. And then it considers that you are a private person. And then it goes and looks if there's double taxation treaty between, for instance, Estonia and Spain. And if there is, and there is a preferential rate, uh, and you have uploaded your tax certificate to us. So we have a rule that you are subject to a lower tax rate, which means that I know what's tax rate in Spain, for instance, for capital, uh, for interest. Uh, it's between 19 and 23 percent. Okay. So, uh, there are various tranches. Yeah, exactly. So, but I, w- I would say typical, uh, tax, uh, uh, rate in tax treaty is usually it's like 10 percent. So, which means that 10% of your income is taxed in Estonia and the rest is untaxed, which is your obligation to pay in Spain. And we provide you with a certificate on that on an annual basis. So you know, like how much has been taxed and how much has not been taxed. So we are probably one of the very few platforms in Europe that actually does it properly. Like a lot of uh, promoters, they basically forget about their obligation to uh, withheld taxes and so what's happening uh, really? with the other platforms though? Because actually this rose from one of my readers asked me like, are you aware that probably most platforms are not doing things correctly? And he's also told me about Crowd Estate and your system. And so what's happening with the other platforms? Are they just breaking the law? What's happening? You know, the platform is a broker or intermediary. So the platform itself doesn't have a tax obligation. So the platforms, they don't care. If the tax authority finds out that, for instance, an Estonian developer has paid out interest to you as a Spanish resident and there's no tax paid, they will come after the company. They will not come after you. So it's, uh, I'm always saying like all the, maybe there are exceptions, but as, as far as I know, European private taxation assumes that if you get interest income from company, it's assumed that it's already taxed. So tax is withheld. So you can treat it like, uh, net income and if somebody says like uh, you can always tell so yes that's that's what i was paid and i don't have a tax obligation the withholding obligation lies with the promoter so i think selling the service without a solution how to tax it withhold tax pr- properly it's kind of a bit reckless i think it's a question of time when the authorities are going to after go after promoters they are not going for a guy who invested 100 euros and got 10 euros of interest and the tax is two euros so there's no sense of it but they go for the guy who raised one million paid out two hundred thousand, left uh fifty thousand unpaid that's a kind of a reason to go after a promoter so and i think the only kind of technologically possible way especially if they have secondary market where the uh, investors tax residency basically can change on daily basis what we do is at the moment when we receive the income from the promoter to be distributed at the same moment we do kind of a tax calculations as well and uh, do proper tax withholding and then we hand this withheld money back to the sponsor 
along with the documentation that allows him to declare it properly. So this is just one service that we do for the promoters. And I think it's kind of a proper way of doing it. But if the promoter is Italian? We do it for Italians as well and for Romanians. And, uh, Romanians yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and the loan is coming from uh, an Estonian platform. Do uh, they withhold tax uh, on the basis of the relationship between Italy and Estonia? Or they have to go be- beyond and identify all the individual lenders? Yes, exactly. Therefore, then, if the certificates are not prepared, as you said earlier, yes, then the risk is for the investor that he would have paid tax in Italy and then paid tax on the net amount in his own country without uh, getting a tax credit for the tax paid in Italy, unless he I has think, a certificate. Yeah, I think it's technically yeah, it's uh, possible. For instance, the Italian tax rate, if I remember correctly, was for individuals. It was twenty six percent. So if you are a Estonian private person, for instance, and investing money in Italian project and you don't have a tax certificate, you would be kicked with 20% tax rate, 26% tax rate. And the Estonian tax rate is 20. So you would lose 6% that you will never get back. Nobody is giving it uh, back to you. But as soon as you provide the tax certificate, uh, which you basically can download it from tax authorities website with one click. So it's very simple you would be subject to 10% tax. And of course, you would have to pay another 10 at the end of the year to Estonia. Yeah, but Lloyd, coming, coming back to this particular example that you mentioned, mm-hmm. if I am Estonian and I invest in Italy, if there is a double tax treaty between Italy and Estonia, Italy would reduce the tax rate charged yes. to me. Therefore, it wouldn't be 26%. Yeah, it would be 10 now. It would, would be, let's say it would be 10 Yes. But if I don't get a tax certificate on the 10% that I have paid, probably mm-hmm. I would have to pay tax in right. Estonia on the 90 <laughs> that I no, would get. Uh, it doesn't happen like that, but you are taxed in full in Italy. Like no, no, if there is a double tax treaty between the two countries. I think they don't I think, tax I think that the uh, Italians uh, would only reduce, they would reduce the tax withholding to the tax rate uh, contemplated by the double tax treaty. However, if they don't give you a certificate of the tax paid, then you, you as an investor full. in Estonia <laughs> would probably have to pay tax in Estonia on the net amount received from Italy, unless you have a certificate. Uh, in that case, if you have a I'm certificate, really you will sure get a tax that. credit. I'm not really sure about that. I could check it. But uh, as far as I understand, you are taxed fully in Italy at 26%. And as Italian tax rate is higher than Estonian rate, you don't have to pay extra. You have been already fully taxed in other in other But in that European case, the double tax treaty wouldn't come into play. Exactly. It doesn't. No, uh, does it? Does it come into play or not? No, no. Because you haven't proven yourself a tax resident. And when you declare your income in Estonia at the end of the year, you say, I received, I know, 100 euros of interest from Italy, and it has already been taxed at 26%. And that's all. So you're not see, therefore, that. therefore, the fact that uh, Estonia and Italy have a double tax treaty wouldn't really help me. Not really. I think the aim of the double, the double taxation treaty is that uh, both countries would get part of the interest, which is shared between two countries. Exactly. And now it's yeah, and now everything is remaining in Italy, and the Estonian tax authorities they don't get anything because income has been taxed. But again, I'm not a tax expert, so I'm investing by a company. So. 
I really can't provide you with a hundred percent sure answer, but it's yeah, a good but an investor so an investor would ask these questions, yeah. We haven't had any feedback. So this is the way we have worked so far for six years and we have uh provided investors with the our certificates that demonstrate that the Italian income has been, for instance, taxed at fully 26%. And I haven't heard that uh, anybody has been asked to pay more. At least they haven't complained to us. No, that's because you have given them the certificates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a related question, perhaps. At what point, say, the HMC food project that we mentioned, let's say you put it into court, and at which point will it be listed as a bad debt that will not re- be recovered? So as an investor, I might be able to claim uh, the loss there. It really depends on uh, the report of the uh, bankruptcy trustee, which is currently being, I think it's in the appointment process. So what happens, uh, at least in Estonia, is as, uh, the court appoints a temporary bank- bankruptcy trustee, and he has... Uh, 60 days to complete a report on the assets and liabilities of the company. And based on the, that, we figure out how much we're going to recover or not. But seafood, I think it's uh, extremely kind of a bad case. We probably have to write it off uh, because the manager who run the company is dead. So he had a heart attack and died or whatever, like a brain damage. So. And uh, while we have the personal guarantee of his wife, who was a shareholder of the company and the official manager so i'm not sure how much is value so i'm not sure if we can really reclaim everything in full so we process it as far as we can and it's financially reasonable but at, at some point point of time we'll probably have to draw a line at saying i think that's an, a case for hmc food yeah i think it's important for an investor to know the timelines so on other platforms i had uh, this was on mintos for example with the euro loans mm-hmm. Uh, quite a famous case and it's been i think two years already and mentors just say that it's still in court but how long will it take yeah. you know take five, one thing years? is that uh, we are th- thinking of it as well maybe to display it a bit better so we uh put it in default but we uh, uh allow later recovery so you would have like a i know maybe some capital gain we have to think about it so it's uh putting some more milestones in the process that I defined in the system. So now it's like very simple. We have to keep it open until it's like ends. But I think there could be some intermediary steps that would give you the clarity, maybe ability to reclaim some uh, credit uh, on investments. And we would, if we reclaim something, maybe in two or three years, we will still be able to distribute it back to you like a bad loan recovery or something like that. We're thinking on that. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that came through through this discussion and also my experience with Crowd Estate is that you're very transparent as a team and as a founder yourself. We all know that this is a young industry. You're still doing things to improve the platform every day. You're not claiming that everything is perfect in the industry or in the platform. And that's something that at least I know where I stand as an investor. I know the amount of risk I'm taking. What are your thoughts about other platforms that have gone bust how could an investor avoid ending up in a situation where the whole platform turns out to be a scam or very badly managed it's a good question i think we have answered a lot of those things uh or blog or recent blog posts but i think like when you select a new platform i think i posted in some group like a few years ago i think it was concerning monetera it was also a Latvian platform that went 
past like few months ago or something like that. And, and uh, is there a concern with Latvia specifically because all this? Not really. I think it's uh, actually. I'm not sure if they are related, but it might be kind of organized crime behind that, and they might be related. But there are like red flags that you get. So basically, you open up like a lot of information is public. So you do a, like a inquiry into residency. Okay, the guys are registered in a apartment in a residential building block in the suburbs in a block panel house with 180 apartments okay i think it's kind of a bit red flag then you don't have any official employees you don't pay any taxes you don't have a vat registration number you don't have paid in capital maybe one thing alone is not the kind of a bad thing but if you combine everything the picture gets really bad i was kind of a bit mocking some investors who were promoting like oh Manatera, it's like a great platform doing stuff and so like okay you have Latvian guys in an apartment in suburbs, they never are here. Why they are using Estonian company? They don't have a proper bank account. They're using some shady payment uh, agencies to transfer money because probably banks are not accepting them. There are so many red flags. I said, like, look in the future and this is going to be a problem. And actually it became a problem. And if you start putting whatever, like crypto, like that's really kind of a scam. So it's it's not realistic. So there's no... Maybe it's my personal opinion. I'm not considering like crypto as an investment. It's like maybe it's lottery or maybe it's a fun or something like that. And you get it's like playing around with the money, but uh, owning a cryptocurrency doesn't it doesn't create any value. So creating a building in the middle of the city, it's probably adds some value. Of course, it might destroy as well if you do it not properly. But in most cases, I would say it probably adds some value to the plot that was originally empty, and then you create the building and sell it off probably you make some money though and these things i guess would be handled by new regulations you know they will make sure yeah that these i would things... say it gets actually gets uh, picture gets very clear usually the first step that the regulators do is they do a process called fit and proper which is like the owners and uh, the managers should submit their own all cvs uh, with experience like i'm i've been regulated for probably since 95 and I'm still regulated. I'm, I'm a chairman of the supervisory board of uh, one pension fund management company. So I'm still kind of under FSA regulation. But I do annual submission of a pack of documents proving that what's my experience, uh, what companies I own, like what's my interest in that, uh, where are my conflicts of interest. It's a massive amount of work to prepare that. And uh, you have to submit your uh, certificate that you don't have a... Uh, how do you call it, like uh, punishments or like criminal offenses. So you, t- you have to take it out from the register, send to them saying like, I've been a polite guy this year, so I have no traffic uh, tickets, anything. So I think there was a case in UK where the CEO of the bank was sacked for uh, getting a, a parking ticket, saying like, it's not responsible behavior, so you shouldn't be a CEO. So I think it goes to very extreme. So process like that, would eliminate all of these kind of quetzals and uh, investors and everything because they don't qualify and the first step is not in the right direction. So. And uh, you should disclose all the beneficial owners to the ultimate beneficiaries, not ending up somewhere in the Kalman Islands or whatever. So uh, it becomes very transparent and you have a state authority who's actually enforcing the transparency. That's very important. So. And that would eliminate like probably like maybe 80% of the platforms in Europe will disappear because they are not going to be able to fulfill that requirement. And then you start looking at the business plans and 
business continuity and internal processes and all the kind of million things and to have your AML process in place and they come in and ask you questions like who are your 10 largest investors and what is the source of the fund so they get very specific on that yeah in my opinion it will be a very important step for these kinds of platforms because on the one hand platforms like yours and others were saying this is going to make investment accessible to the smaller investors but if you have a thousand euro you want to diversify across three platforms you're not going to do due diligence it doesn't make sense for the money you're going to invest exactly but if you do it you choose the wrong platforms you're going to lose that 1000 5000 and it might mm, have been easily. most of the money you had i mean i have discussions about platforms like fast invest with other bloggers other investors to me it's obvious that something is wrong i don't predict exactly when this platform will fail but there are red flags other people insist that there aren't and they keep on investing Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm telling them, like, these are exactly the red flags I see. And they tell me, no, we don't agree. You know? well, maybe the risk tolerance is in a different place. So they are happy to take like uh, aggressive returns uh, or promises of return and not pay too much attention on the risk. So maybe they... Yeah, uh, but there is a point when it becomes ridiculous, as you mentioned. Exactly. You know, when the owner exactly. has a previous past, he, it's registered in one country but operates in another. The owner is 25 years flag, old. Yeah. I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. How did you manage COVID? COVID, uh, I had interesting relationship with COVID. I was in uh, in Singapore and Thailand in uh, February and March this year, so and it was not so bad at all there. So it was your temperature was measured every five minutes. Somebody measured your temperature, uh, but otherwise it was okay. But uh, here is uh, basically we shut down the office and everybody works from home. We're fully digitalized, so. There's no, I think it's a question of discipline. The only thing is that the, you couldn't conduct the, uh, your usual meetings with the developers. So nobody was kind of, I think it was like probably like six weeks, nothing really happening. But again, things are getting back to normal. Like Italy is opening up. We have a lot of like very healthy pipeline in Italy, very healthy pipeline in Romania, big countries. So um, I think the rebounds is very nice there. Did you continue to pay the interest in the meantime? Yes, actually, I think uh, there were a few cases where, uh, let me think if there were anything really COVID-related. We have one project that actually have lent money against the digging, digger, which is like digging ports, and and they broke down somewhere in May, so they are in in kind of delays, but they are getting it up, so they are fixed and they are earning money, so... But I think there's Italians paid interest timely, so nothing really happened. So all the jobs, they have the cash buffers and uh, it's not so dramatic. And I think our biggest kind of fear was uh, that uh, when the economy will take plans, all the projects will lose their buyers that have committed to the pre-sales of the apartments. And they will kind of step back from the contracts and the developer remains like a completed building and no buyers. And luckily this didn't happen. I think like, not a single project that we have actually lost any of the buyers. That was the biggest kind of fear that I had personally, but uh, turned to be out nice, very nicely. So. Good. But let's see how it goes. So it's, I'm not sure if it's kind of open, though. A lot of people speak about the second kind of drop somewhere in the second half of the year. You never know. But I see like, uh, like Baltic countries, a uh, lot of large developers, they have frozen their new projects. So. What we see is that like our Estonian pipeline is probably much thinner than we'd like to be because there are just, there are no projects to be started. 
we're still very picky about what we do. So uh, even if somebody comes with the idea, we are not really kind of, oh, let's raise some money. We don't want to do that unless it's a good project. So it's really, but uh, again, like salt is very nice. So my kind of bets are more on Italy, Italy and, uh, and Romania and maybe some other nice southern country closer to you. Okay. Um, thank you very much, Light, for your honesty and transparency in describing the whole business and how it works. As I've written on my my blog, I'm an investor myself. I've had some good returns and also some negative things as expected with these platforms. I don't think anyone can expect all the projects to go as expected as it wouldn't be. We wouldn't be seeing those returns. And I think this is a long term game where we should be looking at the platform uh, and the, the team behind it above individual projects. And I think it's very important returns. that you, I know how many platforms disclose their financials, but uh, yeah, if I uh, not I like. so many, so for for me, for instance, it's important that uh, the platform should be able to make money. Like for instance, Crowd Estate, we have been always been profitable since the beginning of our business. So it's my kind of personal money I invested. I'm really not very interested in losing that. So um, we just published our last annual report a few days ago. Kind of we made like about four hundred and. 60, 70,000 euros net profit. EBITDA was close to 700,000 euros. So it's kind of, I think this is a sign that like additionally to whatever, like due diligence and processes and everything that the investors would be expecting. So if there's no business for six months, like what happens to the platform? I would bet like a lot of platforms will just close down and people will go home and we would be happy to, maybe not happy, but we would be able to sustain probably like 12 to 18 months sitting on the cash that we have and not do a single project. So I think that's a sign that me as a person, like investor person, would be expecting from a platform that you're able to make money. All right. Um, let's close it off there then. Any closing thoughts or things that you should point out to investors? Not really. I think you brought out a very good point that statistically something will go wrong at some point of time. And somebody who promises you like whatever payback guarantees and no defaults, I think it's maybe it's works short term. In long term, you will have a loss and it's not related, maybe not even to the platform. So I would say that's the economy. So you as an investor should be prepared for that. And I think like good diversification is something that helps you in that there's no good tool for a, I don't know, if you end up investing into a project where the promoter goes crazy and runs away with the cash, you really can't figure it out. So. The only way is that you just invest like 100 euros there, 100 there. And if it's a small part of a portfolio, you probably brings you some pain, but it's temporary. You're not really crying over that. So. All right. Thank you very much. Dan. Very good. Um, Thanks, Sean, okay, for coming. That was a very good interview. Thanks. Keep up good job. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Mastermind.fm. If you liked what you heard in today's episode, please head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your feedback encourages us to keep producing the kind of content that you have come to rely on for your own entrepreneurial journey. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover on the show, send it to us through our website or via email at podcast at mastermind.fm or even connect with us on Twitter at mastermind.fm. We look forward to hearing from you and hope you have a fantastic week.